Hello, you lovely lot. I wanted to take a moment to share an exciting announcement with you all. I will be doing a live show for Happy Mum, Happy Baby at the podcast show in London on the 22nd of May. This will be a live episode of this very podcast featuring me and a very special soon-to-be-announced guest. Get ready for a candid conversation, unfiltered truths, laughs, invaluable non-judgmental advice and lived experiences. Dive into the complexities of parenting while juggling work, relationships and personal growth and we'll be talking beyond the baby years. As well as the live episode, the show will also include a Q&A with both me and my guest. Tickets go on sale this Friday the 26th of April at 10am, but anyone who is part of the Happy Mum, Happy Baby newsletter will be getting early access to tickets on Wednesday the 24th of April at 10am. To sign up to the newsletter and for more information about the event, please head to happymumhappybaby.com forward slash events. I can't wait to see you there. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Happy Mum, Happy Baby, the podcast. Today's guest is an Olympic gold medalist and also a knitting enthusiast... <laughs> He's also dad <laughs> to three-year-old Robbie. It's Tom Daly, O-B-E. That's the first time anybody's actually introduced me with that. It feels really weird. <laughs> I feel like if I got an O-B-E, I'd, I'd change my name to O-B-G or something so that just people had <laughs> to really reference it. Yeah, I know. Well, the thing is, I get it. I think in on the 12th of July is my day to go and get it. So, yeah, <sighs> it, it's fast approaching. So that happens at the New Year's Honours list and then, you wait until you get like a special day where you go and do it. So yeah, I go to Windsor Castle on the on July twelfth. Yeah. Wow. Have you already got an MBE for the twenty twelve? No, that was the first. That was the, this is the first oh. time that I've gotten anything. So yeah, they do they do specify an invite. No kids under twelve. So it'll just be me and my husband going. <laughs> but yeah, I mean you can imagine like a three year old running around. Well, he'll be four by then. So he starts school in September, which is absolutely that is the most insane thing that I cannot believe that I have a child that is starting school in September it's, it's really like, crazy it's my, my youngest Max he turns four in August so he's going to be mm. in reception in September as well oh. and it's such a weird thing knowing that they're going to have a place to be five days a week I know but it's like that thing where like you know as far, like you're saying the fact that it's going to be the youngest in the year makes me feel like I like worry that he's going to be like I don't know, like all the kids that are turning five in September. It's like at that age, it's like a really big age gap. Well, my husband's a July baby and he got on okay. okay. Yeah. He turned he's out all right. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. True. So, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and I would Fair. say actually some of my best female friends are the youngest in the year. I don't have that many, I don't know many other guys that are the youngest in the year, but I think they'll be fine. Yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll figure it out. Like he's been the youngest in his year for quite a while, especially because after lockdown, when they like, started going, 
he started going back to nursery they had mm. like less groups so he ended up going in like being bumped up into like a preschool group when he was younger so he's always been used to hanging around older kids so I think he'll be okay so what was your childhood like because you didn't grow up in London you were Devon in Plymouth. Plymouth yeah exactly yeah in Plymouth which is in Devon and you know I, my childhood was great I the fact that I lived somewhere that was kind of really outdoorsy and able to like every weekend we would go away to Cornwall to go to the caravan so I'd be at the beach I'd be surfing I'd be you know doing all kinds of outdoor stuff and my parents are absolutely incredible in terms of support for me and my brothers with whatever we wanted to do and mm. for me that was diving I mean I started with judo I did squash I did tennis like you name it I tried every single sport under the sun but diving was something that stuck with me and they supported me all the way through that and the main reason I even got into it in the first place was because we lived in Plymouth and we were by the sea and my parents wanted me to be safe in water so from as well as far back as I can remember I've always been in the water and I was just lucky that there was a diving pool in Plymouth where I could go and be able to train because there's not every city had like a 10 meter diving facility so I was really lucky in that sense and that's kind of where now I'm looking back on it and being like it was so amazing to grow up as a kid in Plymouth um and I'm, I'm enjoying adult life so much in London yeah and where's that like hybrid of being able to live in a city but also have that freedom to explore and all that kind of stuff so that's where I think the balance between London and California will be good because we spend summer here in California you know it's, it's kind of guaranteed to be nice weather yeah and you'll have some of that outdoors exposure as well but you know, what's fascinating as well though Tom is that you tried your hand at so many different sports you're obviously clearly very very sporty and then landed on diving and had this real passion yeah. for it you must look at Robbie you know and his the things that he enjoys doing and wonder is something gonna stick is one thing going to be the thing you know whatever it is yeah absolutely and I think you know from such from as long as I can remember my, and what my parents told me my parents always said that I was very you know driven from the get-go like I always wanted to be the, a very competitive and always wanted to be the best everything was a race everything was a, like and I although was quite sensible would take like some quite unnecessary risks when it came to like things that were a little bit scary right and a little bit like adrenaline fueled so you know, I'm seeing a lot of that kind of thing in Robbie. And I don't know if it's like my competitive spirit rubbing, rubbing off on Robbie, but everything is a race. It's a race to the door. It's a race to get dressed. Who's going to get dressed first? Who's get, and it's, <laughs> but that's I'm also a like, really oh. good parenting technique to actually get them out of like, the yeah, house as well. True. I'm like, like okay, who's going to get to the door first? And it's like, so it, it, there is a lot of like competitive spirit. But, and, but again, he also loves... I, I see a lot in him of like climbing on things and yeah. you know I think that just might be a three-year-old thing but he's like fearless and I try not to show that fear in <laughs> like to him because I'm just like oh I'm wanting to explore and not be like you know not let my fears like go on to him but oh my gosh it was like it's it I don't even know what my parents must have thought when that's... I was throwing myself off a 10 meter platform yes. like well, I can't what even age begin would to you imagine. have been when you first did that? Seven. Looking ahead to your future when you were younger, did you always think that, you know, you wanted children, that you wanted to be a dad? For, for as long as I could remember, I've wanted to be a parent. I remember when I was like 15 or 16 years old, travelling through an airport and seeing a cute baby outfit that I saw, and I was like, I need to get that for my future child. And, like, I didn't know who I was going to have this child with. And I didn't know why, but I ended up like having like about six outfits. No, you I didn't. Met. Yeah. I, and I, I, I just, I, I've always, there's something that's been so, I think because of the relationship with my mum and dad, yeah. it was so close. And then when I lost my dad, it was like, I want to be everything he was to me to someone else because every child deserves to have what I had with my dad because it was such a special relationship. We were so close and all of the lessons that he taught me just through being an amazing parent he the time was extremely embarrassing and I was like oh, oh my gosh dad what are you doing this is so embarrassing but you know the more now being a parent I realized that you know if Robbie qualified for the Olympics at 13 years old I would want to go and give him a hug at all costs at any moment <laughs> like, and, and, but then it was like all of those things he, he just didn't care what other people thought he had this such a an amazing outlook on life that was so positive and so like energetic and I just love that and you know now being able to do that for 
my son Robbie has just been absolutely incredible and once you know started to realize that I was gay I was like how am I going to have children in the future mm. what does this look like for me like is what are the options and having to figure out exactly how that was going to work looking down the routes of adoption through yeah. surrogacy all of those things and Robbie's obviously a really important name as well because he's named after your dad yeah so he's named after my dad you know because again one of the most important people and influential people in my whole life and yeah he's a little his, his actual name on his birth certificate is Robert but we used to call my dad Robbie Ray mainly because there's there's a few parts of his name really Ray is like a, a middle name that goes down Lance my husband's family line all the way through because he's from like Texas and so there's lots of Rays yeah we used to call my dad Robbie Ray because in Hannah Montana there was like you know Billy Ray Cyrus <laughs> yeah. Hannah Montana's dad yeah his character name was Robbie Ray and my dad used to go and sing karaoke and dress up as Elvis and do all of that kind of stuff so Robbie Ray kind of and that <laughs> was like that. All, all of I was always like I'd want to call you know a future child Robbie Ray it's and almost like your are. dad's alter ego, Robbie Ray, when he gets exactly. up on the mic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is exactly what it's like. And I was like Hannah Montana. <laughs> Literally. So from going from that chat in the early days, at what point were you? did you decide that you were ready to start the process? Because like you say, it's not like, it's not Netflix and chill time. It's something you've actually got to invest a lot of time in and, and think about yes. how you're going to do it. Yeah, exactly. It's, it is a, a lot more complicated for same-sex parents to have children and you know you have to really think about it and like really really want to have kids in order to be able to make it work and it's extremely complex for same-sex couples in a number of different ways so we looked at the process of adoption and then we also looked at the process of surrogacy both in the US and in the UK and you know Lance and I just felt really I don't know drawn to the fact you know we've both lost people I've lost my dad Lance had recently lost his mum and also his brother. And so we had lost so many people in our, you know, in our families. And I don't know, there was something about surrogacy that we were drawn to that just meant that we could, you know, pass on our, the people that we've, we've lost, their, their genes and their, I don't know, their thoughts, their feelings, their personalities, and being able to bring someone into the world like that was felt so extremely special. And we looked mm. into it in the UK and in the US. And in the UK, it's a lot more complicated because, yeah. you know, surrogates aren't as well protected intended like legally intended parents aren't protected legally so it becomes that it can be a little bit it's just not safe for the surrogates and it's not safe for intended parents either so there's there's a lot of a lot of hurdles to have to jump over mm -hmm. in the U.S. everything is regulated in a way that keeps everyone safe and in the U.S. the surrogacy process is a lot more streamlined because in a way that is safe for everyone. Mm -hmm. At every single point throughout, the surrogate is in control. So, for example, there's in the UK, you have to go to surrogacy socials, I think they call them, where intended parents go and surrogates that might be interested in, in doing it will come and you just meet and then you're kind of constantly mingling. And it could be, it could be for years that you mingle like this in these weekly sessions, hoping that a surrogate might choose you as a couple to help you know build your family mm. in the states it's a little bit more it becomes a way where you are there's a whole profile of things that we have to fill out in terms of our interests what we like answering certain questions about how we met all those kinds of things and then a surrogate or like a, a surrogate might look at that profile and think oh I might get along with these, these people they have the same interests as me they have the same beliefs they are like we feel like we're on the same page and then what happens is a, a surrogate will choose who she might want to meet and which couple she might want to meet. And if you do get to the chance to meet a surrogate, then we, you know, see if we get along and we have this like meeting me with our surrogate and her family. We went out for lunch and we had like a great time. And we with her family uh, as well. Yeah, yeah. So we meet meet all her family, her husband, her kids, everyone. And that's an important part of it, isn't it? Because it's not just the individual, actually. It's everyone around them that's that's yeah. a part of this process. Absolutely, and it, it has to. Yeah, the the whole process here, like in California, is so. It was so special. I mean, we got to meet her and her family, and we got to talk about you know her life, what she's been, what she's been doing, her interests, and like what we're doing, and why like building a family is so important to us, and 
you know, and then what happens is a surrogate will then decide if she likes us or not. And then it will go from there into that. And it's also here, there's like a certain level of to be a surrogate. I mean, being a surrogate, they are, honestly are guardian angels. They are so incredible. So, and it's just, there's no words to explain how grateful you can be to someone. And they are so incredibly special. And our surrogate that why I keep referring to her as our surrogate because she doesn't want to be named yeah, yeah, that's yeah. why I, uh, I'm trying to keep her anonymous and but she's so special we speak to her all the time on FaceTime with Robbie and we explain to Robbie that she is Robbie's tummy buddy <laughs> and that's how he came into came into the world and we've always been really open and honest with him about how everything works to a level that he can understand yeah. like there's books that we've read to him and things like that but no, she's so incredibly special and her whole family also are so incredibly special. And it's just, a, I don't know, it's, it's like a really magical experience where you like gain a whole nother dimension to mm. your family, not just through Robbie, but through um, our surrogate's family as well. So what was it like when she told you that she would be your surrogate? Oh gosh, it's like, I can remember just like me and Lance like sitting in a room crying, thinking, <laughs> oh my gosh, we like she's going to actually help us build our family. Like, can you even imagine like being able to, and, you know, just being there throughout the whole process and, you know, it's it's all of the appointments, the scans, mm. the just being there as often as we possibly could. And just being there when Robbie was born and being able to see Robbie come into the world. And I was able to do the first skin to skin contact with Robbie and being able to have him on my chest. And it was just so incredible. And I mean, babies don't able... feel like what you think they're going to feel like, do they? That first no. bit of skin on skin, it's it's quite an odd feeling, actually. Yeah, it's not, it's not like the skin that you would no. think like of like when you, after a few weeks of a baby, it's like a little bit slimy, a little bit like, I don't know, it's almost a bit fish-like. Yes. <laughs> almost, <laughs> it's like oddly, yeah. like a little bit wet and... But yeah, it was honestly the most magical experience to just be there. Like, you know, I think any parent can relate. The first time you get to hold your child is so mm. incredible. And I guess the other thing to touch on within California and surrogacy is that there's a few rules within California law that doesn't allow for surrogates to use their eggs either while, do while doing surrogacy. So it has to be a... Egg donor. For example, it has yeah, it has to be an egg donor and, and, and the embryos are created outside before. So that's so another thing that you would have had to have gone through trying to find the right egg yeah, donor. Yeah, well, in the UK, they also do traditional surrogacy rather than just gestational surrogacy. Right. So there, there are instances where surrogates are open to using their eggs, which then creates, it, it becomes a little slightly more complicated and all those kinds of things. And also here, for, to be a surrogate, well, I think the majority of surrogates have to have to have gone through some level of higher education and be employed in a certain way to show that, you know, the, the reasons why people might be doing surrogacy, which also then in turn protects surrogates as well, that there are reasons why they want to do it and it's not just out of need to do it, yeah. which again, isn't the case in the UK. So it just felt like it was the safest place for everyone to do it in California and yeah. also my husband's from here so it was yeah, like it's not it's not a, always do it in the, yeah it's yeah. not completely out of the blue you have you have exactly. a, you know connections there yeah. and family and stuff and what about finding your egg donor then because that how does that work over there yeah that is again it's it, it's it's a, it's a weird process because you well, you never meet your egg donor yeah. because it's the it, same as in the UK mm -hmm. or in it, again, it's for safety for everyone to know, like, you know, which makes sense. Again, I think this, I don't know how it works in the UK because we never got that far in the UK. But in the US, what happens is there's, you know, at the fertility clinic, there is like a, you know, an embryo or an egg donor list. And you basically get to know, for example, medical history so that if there's anything in our medical history and an egg donor's medical history that might create a problem with an embryo mm -hmm. that they you don't end up going down that that road that road but then there's also you get to see a like a picture of the, the egg donors and the reasons why they want to be an egg donor their like medical history family medical history just to it, or, or it's almost like for example you know if we are in everyday life you are you you find someone we, we wanted to find someone that was kind of like Lance and I and that, so that we could kind of see both of us in that person yeah and that that's kind of how we ended up deciding on our 
egg donor was through being able to, what we ended up doing was I said, okay, Lance, if you go onto the database and you, I don't know, see like who, like who you might be interested in and kind of like picking out, you know, what works for your side of the family, what works for my side of the family. And so we ended up with trying to figure out a top, like five, basically yeah. choosing five egg donors. And I only chose one because that was just <laughs> me. That was, that was like, well, this, 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 you know, it was like this thing of like, you know, I, I don't know, I felt like this real connection. And I was like, and it just so happened that Lance had also chose the same egg donor as well. Yeah. So it was like, we were just, we were just very much aligned with that. And, you know, you learn a little bit about personality traits as well in the, for each egg donor, just to learn a little bit more about them and a little video of them just talking about why they want to be an egg donor. And it just, it just made it feel really I don't know. It, it, it's like someone that we would want to spend time with. Yeah. And that's just how, what we went on. It wasn't based on a particular look. It wasn't based on any kind of particular. Did you, you know, just get a feeling? Do you just feel like you yeah. got drawn to that person? I think similar to like you would if you were walking down the street and you saw someone and you were like, oh, like you, you have like a level of, wow, this person's interesting or like I'm attracted to them in a certain way. Like yeah, there's, yeah, yeah. there's that level of it, it's a similar thing. Like mm-hmm. you, you go through those same thoughts, feelings and emotions as if you were, if you were walking past someone in the street or you met someone for the first time. Yeah. And so from that point of picking your egg donor, how long was it then until things actually got started? So we started the process back in December 2016. And from December 2016, it well, it took until June 27th, 2018, until Robbie was born. Yeah. Uh, so the process does, it, it, it is a quite a long process. It can go quicker for certain couples if you're, you know, doing one thing after the next and you're like around to, and you're in a particular hurry. But we weren't, we just wanted every everything to be right. Everyone to feel safe and comfortable and you know, we weren't in a massive rush to do it right there and then. So it was, it, it was actually, yeah. So I guess the process between from start to finish was, yeah, was December 2016 till June 2018. And now we're still in contact with our surrogate like every week, which is, yeah. And she's awesome. So there must be, must have been points throughout the process where, well, was there a point throughout the whole thing where it suddenly like felt real? Did the, did the reality of it suddenly hit? Honestly, like the whole, there was moments throughout where it all felt very real. Like we, we, when we would meet up and have like breakfast or lunch or dinner yeah. with our surrogate and like hang out uh, like uh, like before or after scans and things like that. But it was, it was a moment when the one that really sticks out to me was, and I, I think lots of parents will be able to relate, is that moment when you leave the hospital, you put your kid in the, in the car seat and the door is closed and then it's just it was just me Lance and Robbie in the car and we were like oh my gosh like <laughs> what now like how like how is this how are we gonna how are we gonna do this like uh, we were thinking about you know I'd read all the books I had read or like I'd like read everything thinking that I was like right okay I'm re- I had like my notepad ready with what time he'd slept how long for when he pooed peed ever, like, and I was like really and then I was just like I this is so unbelievable and so overwhelming but yet the the happiest moment that I could ever think of and I'm just it was this weird like I don't know uh, and I just there's such a surreal feeling of like there was no one else but this was our family now yeah. and we were driving home and we're about to go and you know begin the rest of our lives together and it was I don't know it felt very very special I mean being on the road though with a newborn in the car suddenly the road doesn't seem like it did before no it it felt everything felt like a a journey was longer I mean he literally slept the whole way home which was great but it was yeah it was just terrifying and you know I think one thing you think when you're when you see a baby they feel so fragile and they look so little and but then at the same time, when you see what they have to go through at childbirth, you yeah. realise, like, you know, they're, they're pretty, robust. pretty robust. Yeah, yeah they, they, they know how to, like, just be able to survive. So I think there's something that was, I don't know, it was, yeah, so incredibly special. My mum also flew over to California and was there at the hospital when Robbie was born huh. too. And it was just a really, I don't know, it was, it was so special.
Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So when you got home, after you'd done all the studying, because I did all the studying as well, you got yeah. home, how did it compare the reality of being a dad to everything that you'd read in the books? I think some of the basics from the books are really helpful in terms of like, you know, how to change a nappy, yeah. how to prepare a bottle, all those things. But, you know, there's no one book that kind of fits every child, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. Like you, you, I think as a parent, you're the only person that will know your, your, you'll know your child better than anyone else. And I think, you know, there was, if there was one piece of advice that, you know, I could give to any parent is not to listen to any other parent's <laughs> advice because it's honestly you'll figure it out for yourself yeah. and you really do you figure it out what's best for your kid and you know and I think one thing is that every all parents are trying to do the best that they can and and I think so so many people are so quick to judge like a parent if they you know what they're, they're doing or how they're parenting in public and things like that but people don't have any idea about what might have happened early on in the day yeah. or like how they might be feeling if they're uh, you know well or if they're unwell and being same sex dads I felt that a lot of feeling extra pressure to be good parents mm-hmm. and to be doing the right thing and you know you always do feel a bit judged when you're out in public because you want to be showing that you're doing the best that you possibly can and you know I think it can be weird sometimes for people to see two dads and a baby and it, so we always felt like we had to like really be the best parents that we could ever be and like really do the, like all of the right things because we wanted to show that we were we because we wanted to be we're desperately to be parents just like anyone else yeah. and we wanted to be doing the right thing and it's just always this worry and concern that are we doing the right thing are we really managing to push like like are we able to like push through with this are mm-hmm. we able to be the best parents that we can and it's really you know it was that feeling of constant I don't know feeling like we were had to prove ourselves above and beyond. Yeah. I think, I mean, I definitely experienced the whole, the pressure thing and wanting to be, you know, the best mum ever and wanting to appear like super mum because I read all the books as well. And, you know, a lot of them, I mean, if every baby did what the book said, it would be amazing. But none of the books want to put on a little caveat that says, no book, no babies are the same. Don't worry if this if it doesn't work out in this way. Yes, you know, and I was trying to listen to all the advice <clears> from <throat> different people, and it was all conflicting. So I felt like my instincts as a parent, actually, that I I wasn't listening to them at all because I didn't have anyone say to me, "Every baby is different. Just figure like figure it out on your own yeah. if you like." These are the tools. Chuck them out and see what sticks. Yeah, no, and that's literally what ended up happening. You know, the first few weeks we were so like, you know, tried to be in such a routine of like, because, you know, feed every two to three hours. And then I was ending up waking Robbie up in order just to feed him. (laughs) And I was just like, and then I was like, why have I just woke, he only went to sleep 10 minutes ago. Why am I waking him up to keep him on his eating and sleeping? And it was just, I don't know, again, like things change so quickly as well. Like there's so many different phases, things happen so quickly. And then there was the whole weaning process and figuring out what we were going to do with that and what did you enjoy and, it you know looking back I absolutely loved uh, the weaning process and it was you know twice a week I would spend you know a few hours in the kitchen like making all of these meals and then like putting them into pots and you know and then we got to and I, that was one side of like baby books that I loved was the the cooking side and 
you know, Robbie now, like, I mean, he eats everything. He is, uh, he, he doesn't stop eating. He's always like, Papa, I'm hungry. Papa, I'm hungry, like, all the time. But, you know, I got to, like, I was making him all kinds of things from when he was younger. Like, his favorite things to eat when he was a baby were, like, random things, like a chicken curry or a mushroom risotto or a fish pie. And now, like, he just eats, what, like, whatever we eat, I just take, like, take a little section out and just, plate him up a smaller thing and that's what we ended up doing yeah it's nice I, I I really enjoyed those stages because it is that thing especially if you're a food lover it's that thing of enjoying yeah. food as a family it is this new this new side of life I think yeah exactly and we just kind of put loads of things in front of him and let him try the things that he liked and the, not try the things that he didn't I mean yeah. we always put something on his plate that we do he liked so that he wouldn't go hungry yeah but then just gave him the opportunity to try different things different textures same foods like kind of prepared differently mm-hmm. uh, and you know I, I quite enjoyed seeing him try things for the first time and we never kind of like you know said oh you can't leave until you've eaten this or like keep eating more keep going like you know we kind of just listen to him like if he's not hungry he's not hungry and he's not going to eat it and yeah. we'll wait until the next meal so I don't know it's been yeah and, and now like he I love the fact that he loves food because I love food yeah. so it's like now being able to go to any restaurant and for him to always have something that he could find to eat is is nice yeah let's talk about sleep because obviously yes. being an athlete sleep is very, very important. You know, it has a knock-on effect. Like, we all know if you've had a bad night's sleep, how it affects us physically, mentally, emotionally. So yeah. how have you dealt with that in terms of what you do? Gosh. Is it yeah, an ongoing it, it was, battle? No, no. actually, it was, it was really tough. T- the first six weeks are the most difficult yeah. when it comes to sleep, I thought. And then after about six weeks, Robbie started to sleep a little bit longer. But he would end up sleeping probably like 10 till 5.30 mm-hmm. or something like that from about six weeks. So then then as he started growing more, then he would, we would start having to do like a feed in the night. And what ended up happening, my husband was super dad while I was training. So I was, so we obviously would feed every like four hours at that point. And I remember Lance would do the six o'clock feed. I would do the 10 p.m. feed, then go to sleep. Then there would be the 2 a.m. feed that Lance would get up and do. And then I would get up and do the 6 a.m. feed so that we would like alternate so that in a way I got like a seven and a half hour chunk Mm because I had to be up early to go to training and Lance could feed and then go back to bed. And so we figured it out in a way that worked for us. But of course it disrupts your sleep. And then there's some nights where you just won't go back to sleep after his feed. And it's you're up for three or four hours and you know I remember there was a period of time where he just did not like I didn't get to sleep for a whole night and he was just you know because the teething situation yeah, comes and in the and aggression it, and all of that uh, exactly um it was actually during lockdown that we got Robbie to start sleeping really well and to be able to get him to put himself back to sleep and to because we were always very good about trying to you know give him a cuddle and get him to like sleepish stage but always putting him down in his bed awake yeah ish so then and then we would so what we do now is we put him to bed in his room and then we like sit on the step uh so that if he ever like calls out and says papa i'm like just on the step outside the room so he knows that we're there but he's been you know touch wood and luckily he's been a, like a really good sleeper and he's been well since the beginning of lockdown he's basically sleeps seven through seven so he's been oh, I mean that's the dream I've got <laughs> an eight six and three year old and they are not all doing seven till seven oh, it, honestly he's he is great he's like for the, you know it wasn't always like that and he does have like you know if he's sick or whatever he might yeah. wake up in the night but he's been it there was we were deciding whether we wanted to you know aiming for 12 hours was one thing he one he didn't he stopped napping when he was 18 months Ooh, which, that killed, is which tough. killed and that was like right <laughs> at the beginning of lockdown it was about after three weeks of lockdown there were no naps during the day and we were like oh my gosh like what are we going to do when like how are we going to like how was I going to get my training done from home or you know but he um yeah once he started not taking that nap he did then start to sleep longer at night yeah. so there was like a catch 22 on that I guess yeah and the other thing obviously you've got to do is that like say for Tokyo you had to leave home for how many weeks were you away yeah. for 
I was away for a total, like, luckily, I say luckily, well, COVID, I think it just changed everything in yeah. terms of my perspective on life. One, usually in an Olympic year, if it was a usual 2020, I would have been away so much. I would have been doing at least six weeks of World Series competitions, then throw in a European championship, which I would have been away for like 10 to 12 days, a World Championships, so I would have been away for two weeks, and then training camp two weeks before the Olympics and then the actual two and a half weeks of the actual competitions so all of those competitions went away so you just had the world cup there were no pre-camps or anything there were no training camps it was just go there compete come home so I got to spend so much more time with Robbie I got to see him develop so much with speech with like dexterity all of that kind of stuff which I just wouldn't have if I was away traveling all the time so I started to when I went away for the Olympics in 2021 I actually only ended up going away for, I think it was three weeks, which for an Olympic Games is quite a short amount of time. We mm. got there five days, five days before competition. And then there was two weeks of competition. And then I flew back the day or so after that competition. So it was very, it, it was very condensed. Um, but the great thing was, you know, FaceTime, like, there, yeah. like if we didn't have that, like years ago, it would have been so incredibly difficult to be a parent and go away and leave and what I would end up doing every time I went away was doing like a little treasure hunt that each day I would have hidden something, whether like a little toy or a little piece of candy or something like that in around the house. So every time on FaceTime, you knew that if he was going to speak to Papa, he was going to be able to go and try and find something in the house, which because I found if I hadn't done that, he had no interest in talking to me. Which I know. I mean, I've had, yeah, I mean, me and Tom obviously go away for work occasionally. And it is that thing of when it is, when you have a break in your schedule where you can phone home and you know that you've, they've got the best of you, they just sometimes are not in the mood, you know. And I yeah, think maybe that's also part of them not really wanting to, I don't know, they're just getting their head around you not being there. So for you to be there yeah. on a screen sometimes can be a bit jarring for them, I think. Often sometimes like he'd be like painting and Lance would FaceTime me or something like that and he he would be like Papa I'm sorry I'm busy I'm too busy I'm like (laughs) okay okay fine you 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 go back to that stuff and I'll I'll call you later but you know I I always think you know if he's too busy to speak to his Papa then he must be doing all right so kind of makes me feel although it breaks my heart he doesn't care so there was that and now I think you know yeah and, and now I'm very much like grateful for I think being a parent has changed so much and it's just made like I don't know it's made my life better in so many ways of just that sense of perspective of what really matters most is that you know my family love me and support Mm. me and it's just taken so much pressure on what goes on in my work life and with diving because I know that whatever happens if it's good or bad I know that I'm going to be able to go back to a family that loves me which allowed me to I don't know allowed me to fly higher than I ever thought so it's good. Jessica Ennis-Hill, I remember going to a lunch that she was talking at years ago uh, and she was saying how when she became a mum, it changed her approach to simply training as well. You know, it would mean that the time that was spent away had to mean something. It had to, you know, be Be worth it. Be worth it. So you go there and you do your absolute best knowing you can go home and just put yourself in family life. And it's also the first time that I was ever able to leave diving at the pool. You know, being an athlete is a full-time job in terms of you when you come home you have to be eating the right things you have to be resting you have to be making sure you're doing all of the recovery nutrition like you have to be thinking about it all the time and that's not healthy and I think that's one thing that parenting has taught me is that I was able to dive and then I had to leave it there because I couldn't be thinking about diving when I was I wanted to be fully focused on Robbie and what he was doing and I don't know it, it just taught me that there was there's so much more to life than work and there's so much more to life than you know, I used to define myself solely on how well I did at the pool. And that meant if I was a good person or not was how well I was diving. So being able to come home and be with Robbie and be together, it just, it made me, you know, for so long in my life, diving has been number one. And now being a parent, you know, it's not like by any stretch of imagination, Robbie is, and my family, my husband are number one. And yes, diving is still important, but it taught me, you know, to be kind to myself, all of the things that, you know, if Robbie makes a mistake, if Robbie does something naughty or whatever it may be, like I'm, you, you be kind and are like, and that kind of taught me to be kind to myself as mm. well. Like if I started making mistakes and diving, not to beat myself up about it and think, oh, I wish I'd done this or, oh, I wish I had, you know, made this change earlier or whatever it may be, but actually 
allowing yourself to be kind to yourself when you make mistakes allows you to move forward a lot faster a lot more efficiently a lot quicker and you just don't I don't know there's something that just made me feel a lot more laid back and relaxed about being an athlete which is so not what I thought being an athlete meant I thought being an athlete was go 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 you have to be doing everything you can't stop you have to be number one and all of this and actually I was just like you know what I have to do this because I enjoy it and I love it and you know it's being successful and being like a winner I guess isn't about just working hard and training hard it's an attitude it's an attitude about being kind to yourself allowing yourself to make mistakes make mistakes and how do you grow from that how do you move forward from that and that's something that being a parent has taught me that you know there's there's so much more to life than just winning all the time you don't that's that's boring almost Mm -hmm. like being a parent is the exciting thing this that's the real meaning for me in life is to you know have a family and really live life and not just get sucked into doing that one thing every single day and you know making that define your happiness like happiness is not just about winning and it's not just material it's like it's like what do you have you know with your family and your within your life in that way and I think that's something that I just before being a parent I'd never had been able to get my head around I mean you have been so focused and driven with diving and and as an athlete from such a young age though I imagine coming to this realization it must feel almost freeing in a way as well and and in that freedom has come you know even greater success yeah totally it is so freeing because you know being an athlete is so like and in any profession I guess but it's like you you work so hard for and in diving you get one Olympics every four years so you work so so hard for that moment and then when you get there like in my previous Olympics before being a parent I used to torture myself through the whole thing I used to worry about you know I wanted to do well so badly that I would do anything at all costs and then the anxiety and the pressures and the external pressures and anxieties and worries would just build up so much that you just couldn't focus and actually let yourself do what you trained to do so I remember going into Tokyo for the Olympics and being there I mean like you know what I'm here at my fourth Olympic Games I'm a dad I'm a husband and I am happy like no matter what happens in this competition I'm happy and I feel like I'm an amazing spot in my life where I just feel like I can just be free to be me and be happy and I uh it just it just changed the way that I put pressure on myself because I just didn't I I I allowed you know there's pressure from competition and all that kind of stuff is still nerves but there wasn't the pressure of you need to win and if you don't win you're going to be a disappointment it was I'm just going to go and do this because who knows this might be my last Olympics I don't know if I'm going to be able to do another Olympics because I might be like too old and there might be someone else coming up underneath me within British diving that's going to kick me out of the team Mm. so I just had to I just I don't know it just allowed me to be really in the moment and present because I was happy with everything else that was going on around me yeah I've been surprised over the last few years to see how creative you are you know with your knitting and and with your plants and everything like that as well um is that something that now being a dad and having this realization you've 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 given yourself this time for this other outlet as well is that has that coincided or have you always been a keen knitter I started knitting actually at the beginning of lockdown and it was because and the same with plants my You're so with plants. And good I think, though how can you uh, just have started <laughs> I think, well I think I've been knitting now for two years and you know I, I started because my coach said to me Tom you can't sit still you're always doing something you're always up you know if it's you know you're busy with Robbie anyway but then you're always going for walks you're always going in visiting places you're going on adventures you know if you're have an evening to sit down and chill you start sorting out your room and cleaning things and I was just like I'm one of those people that just has to be doing something I have to you know like with Robbie like since being here in California we've been going to the beach we've been hiking up mountains we've been like doing all (laughs) kinds of things so she was like you need to find something where you can just sit and chill like I don't know what it is I'm also not a tv person so I don't sit in front of the tv and watch things unless it's RuPaul's Drag Race, of course. Um, <laughs> of, course. But, <laughs> of course. But then it was actually my husband who said to me, like, so many people on film set sit and just knit squares and it's knitting away and are able to really kind of like switch off and focus on what they're doing. And it passes the time really well. I was like, okay, I'll try that. Like, why not? I'll give mm. this thing a go. And I was terrible at it at the start. But then, 
you know, me being a competitive person and like an athlete, I was just like, right, I've got to get this right. I've got to do it good and I've got to be ready to like. And so what ended up happening was everything that I did, I tried to learn a new technique, a new skill. And to the point where I then was able to go on YouTube tutorials, I was doing all these different kits and patterns. And before I knew it, I then started designing my own stuff. And it was before the Olympics, my, I had a meeting with my management talking about what was going to be next. And I was like, oh, am I going to be doing a podcast? Am I going to be hosting TV? What am I going to be doing? And I, just, and I was just like, honestly, all I want to do is like after the Olympics is sit on a beach with a margarita and design knitwear. And they were like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, no, but seriously, that's what I want to do. And then the Olympics happened and people saw my love for knitting. And it was like, right, I just like now maybe I could actually be a knitwear designer and start doing this. So then we had Made With Love, which was my Instagram account, mm-hmm. which all of a sudden went from 60,000 followers to 1.2 or 1.3 million followers overnight from those photos. So we were like, okay, right. I was like, I've got all of these designs that I've been working on. Like, let, let's do it. And so then we set up Made With Love where, you know, you can get kits to make your own knitwear, which has been super exciting for me because I'm, I don't know, spreading... The, my love for knitting is something that's allowed me to slow down yeah. it's my way of like being mindful and meditation and all of those things and I know there's something really satisfying about hand making something even if you wear it yourself or you gift it to someone else it's you know just taking the time to and you know slow fashion is also important yeah. so there's all of that about um, 10 years ago too. we decided to knit every family member a scarf for Christmas. So me and Tom, I can remember really? we just sat there. Yeah, we were like old grannies. We sat there. It was either a, a Horlicks or a wine, depending on how we felt, watching Sopranos while knitting <laughs> together. But the family really? loved it because it was something... I mean, I can only knit in a straight line. That's what I can do. But, you know, for them, it was something that came from us. I love that us. you knit, though. Yeah. I love that you knit. Tom's I, I, much I, better. I, Tom knitted a Christmas hat, which wow. he gets every year. Yeah. I, I, all right, okay, I need to send you like a, a jumper kit. Yes, if please. you can knit in a straight line, you can definitely do a jumper. Okay. Like, I've, yeah, you, it's, it's, and it's also one of those things that it's, I think for some people it feels like it's really intimidating, yeah. but actually it's really not. Once you've, once you've mastered like the basics, you can do it all. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think love you'll, be, you'll be fine. Thank you. Tom, is parenthood <laughs> what you thought it would be? It's everything I thought it would be and more. Like I, I knew that there's, I didn't. When people, when parents talk about this immense love mm. and this, and like that, you know, you think, oh yeah, of course, I, you know, I get that, I can understand that. But until you have your child, I'm just uh, like the, the feeling that you get when you just squish your little child, <laughs> and like you know, when Robbie runs up to me and gives me a hug, like there's, it's like it's unlocked a whole different dimension to my heart that I never knew existed. Like being able to see the world through a new lens that, you know, being able to see, you know, you you take it for granted. Like when Robbie realized and saw a tree for the first time, like there's something that you take for granted every day when you walk past it, but he was fascinated by it. And I was like, oh my gosh, the world that we live in is actually quite interesting. And there's so many things that you just take for granted as you get older. Mm. And that like little things like that just created a whole new sense of joy. And you never realize how much pride you can feel in a little human being when they you know, take their first steps or they say their first words. It's just everything and more that I ever could have dreamed it would be. Yeah. If you could write a letter on parenthood, who would it be to and what would you say? Oh, gosh. If I could write a letter to anyone on parenthood, you know, the thing that I think would be interesting was would be to write a letter to Robbie mm. for him to read in the future. Because the one thing that I think that I would have loved is to have had a letter from my dad about what it meant to be a parent to him and what I used to do that used to make him laugh or used to you know frustrate him or annoy him what was what was I like and so I think I would write a letter to Robbie about how I feel to be his parent how I feel to when I see him in the mornings out like some little stories about what what it's been like to be his parent over the years so I think that's that's something that I would do because I know that having lost my parent I lost my dad I really would have loved to have been able to ask more questions Mm. and understand exactly what what he's what he was going through um when when he was being my dad and you know the anxiety that comes with raising a diver and raising an athlete in that way 
Has having Robbie made you think about your dad even more? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Like, every day. You know, I mean, I say my dad's name every single day when I talk to Robbie. And, you know, there's lots of my dad that I see in him. You know, just some of his, like, characteristics and the way he says things and <laughs> does things. It's just really, I don't know, it's really, really special. And so, yeah. And I, it's just, it's also challenging because he's obviously, Robbie has never met my dad and will never meet my dad. And, you know, I feel very lucky that I've got lots of videos and we've done documentaries before, mm. and, you know, so he might be able to get to know him in some way, but, you know, he won't ever get to meet his granddad, which is really sad for me to think that he's never going to be able to meet that one person that's so special to me. But, you know, we talk about him all the time. Same with Lance's mom mm -hmm. and Lance's brother. Like we try to keep their, you know, their memory alive in that way. Yeah. We end each episode with you finishing three sentences. Okay. Being a dad means. Oh gosh, that's a that's a big. I know. Big I like question. to keep everything really relaxed, and at the end, it's like a little ah. Everyone's mind goes blank at this point. Being a dad means everything to me, and it also means a sense of perspective that you will never be able to understand until you become a parent and it grounds you in a completely different way changes your life in an unbelievable manner that will be something that you could then no longer imagine not being a parent for the rest of your life since having a child i since having a child i have slept a lot less <laughs> have never I never miss being able to sleep in more. Um, <laughs> I also have never before in my life felt this amount of love, this amount of gratitude and the amount of, I don't know, it's been the most amazing experience and something that makes me so incredibly happy every single day. And I'm happy when? I'm happy when Robbie comes over to me, gives me the biggest squeeze and we're having this moment at the moment where he just comes up to me randomly and says, Papa, I love you so much. <sighs> and there's just something like that when it just like tingles in my heart. And I'm just like, I love you so, 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 so much. <laughs> and then he like then goes, I love you so, 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 so. And I, it just like that at the moment is when I'm happy. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Tom, thank he's, you so much. No, thank you. Happy Mum, Happy Baby is produced by Pixie Productions Limited and is part of the Acast Creator Network. How have you been feeling recently? Flipping shattered? Yes, me too. But I know there are sunny days ahead. The Happy Mum, Happy Baby clothing range is full of real quotes that show the true meaning of parenting. In sizes for adults and mini-me's too. How cute. <laughs> I hope you love them as much as I do. They're ready for you to shop now on the Happy Mum, Happy Baby website.